Welcome, my children. Fear. The fact that a man whom he feared had died ten years ago, ten years earlier, did not in the least. Lesson Stuart McGregory's obsession of horror, of a certain grime, expectancy, every time we record the final scene, just before Fergus Her- Her- disappeared in the African jungle that stood speculatively motorously. Motionless in the fold of some black of green metal in the haggard moonlight, he reconstructed it. The whole scene seemed unreal, almost suppressedly ludicrously theoretical. A pale of sudden, sacred darkness all around, the night sounds of a soft wind, obsessive things flapping lazily overhead or brutting against the fairy trees that held the woolly heat. Of the tropical day, like boiler pipes in a factory, the slimy, sweaty things that glided and crawled and wriggled underneath foot, the vibrant growl of hunting lionesses that began a deep bassoon, a peaked, shrill, high-pitched, ridiculous, and inadequate treble, a spotted hyena's vicious puffing bark, the chirp and whistle of innumerable monkeys. A water breaking through the undergrowth with a clumsy carriage crash, and somewhere very far, the scarretto thumping of a single drum, and more faintly yet, the answer from the next in line. He had seen many such drums, made from fire, hollowed palm trees, and covered with tightly stretched skin, often the skin of a human enemy. Yes, he remembered it all. He remembered the night jungle creeping in on the camp like a sentient melaning being, and then the ghostly, ironic moon squinting down, just as Farquhar Hutchinson, Hutchison walked away between the six giant plumbed, ochre-smeared buckaho negroes, and bringing into grass relief the tattoo mark of the man's back, where the shirt had been torn to tatters by camel thorns. A weight of its spikes and sabre, shaped palm leaves. He, he recall the occasion when Falkert Hutchinson had himself tattooed after a crimson drunken spree at Madame Silice's place in Port Said, the other side of Red Sea Traders' Bazaar, to please a half-caste Sawali dancing girl who looked like a golden Madonna of evil, familiar with the seven sins. Doubtless the girl had gone shares with the leopard craftsman who had done the work, an eagle in a bold red and blue, surmounted by a lopsided crown and surrounded by a wavy design. The eagle was in, the eagle was in profile, a single eye that had a disconcerting trick of winking satirically whenever Harrison moved his back muscles or twitched his shoulder blades. Oh, I... And when always in his memory, Stuart McGregory saw that tattoo mark, and in him always did he see the wicked leering squint in the evil's eye, and then he would scream whenever he happened to be in a theatre or Broadway restaurant or across some good friends, mahogany and beef. Thinking back, he remembered that of all their bravado, of all for all their showing off to each other, both he and Frederick Huckers and had been afraid since the day that day, up behind the land, then drunk with fermented palm wine.
nay, he had insulted the fretish of the Bokadus. All the men were away hunting, and none left to guard the village except for women and children, a few old, feeble old men whose curses and high-pitched mag- mag- maledictions were picturesque, but hardly effectually enough to stop him, his partner, from doing a vulgar intoxic dance in front of the idol, with grinding, burning cigarines into a squat, repulsive features, and through generally polluting the judge's hut, not to mention the frail and powerful looting of the vase. They had got away with plunder, gold dust, and a handful of splendid canary diamonds before the Bakku warriors had returned, but fear had followed them, stalked them, trailed them, a fear different from any they had ever experienced before. It is mentioned that their path of life had been crimson and twisted and fantastic, but they had been followed. But had they followed a little squinking, swave-headed, hunchback dingy of adventure, whatever man's primitive lawless rules about the law, from known to tick from Peru to the black felt tri-tents of Alta Magola, from the Australian bush to the ashen-sodden Apache haunts of Paris, be it mentioned for furthermore, furthermore that thus often they had stared death in the face, and not being fools had found the staring distasteful and shivery. But they had felt on the journey back to the security of the ghost, and the ragged United Jack, flapping discreetly above the British Governor's official corporation, I am mentioned. I mean, something worse than the mere physical fear. If his name is brooding, sinister apparition, which had, been, which had crept through their souls, a harshly discordant note that peeled through the hidden recesses of their beings. Everything had been had seemed to mock them, the calling, south, sour jungle, the slippery roots, the tripping between falls, the sun of the tropics, brown, Decayed like the sun of the day of judgment. The very flowers, spiky, onerous, waxen, unhealthy, luxurious at night, they had rested in the same clearing they had feared, their own campfire flowing out, twinkling, flickering, then called into life, corroborable, it seemed completely isolated in the purple night. Isolated. They had longed for human companionship, white companionship, white vices, white slang. White curses, white odours, white obsessions. Why, they would be welcome to a decent, square, honest, white murder. A knife flashing in some yellow-haired nose. Faded bony fist, a delaying, delaying pin in the hand of some bullying Liverpool tram ship. Skipper, nor non-strangled six guns battering, leaden death from Apache of the rude Rudolphus, gunning. A passer-by, but here in the African general, and how Stuart McGregory remembered it, the fear of death had seemed pregnant with unmentionable horror. There had been no sounds except the buzzing of the taxi flies and the faint rumbling of drums, whispering through the desert and the jungle like the voices of disbodied souls, astray on the outer rim of creation, and overheard the stars. Already at night, three stars were glittering, leering, as Jim McGregor had gone, who had gone, 
through college and once written his college major of limping and melodic verse had pointed at them. The three stars of Africa, he had said, the star of violence, the star of lust, and the little stinking star of greed. He had broken into a stiletto laugh which had struck Robert Hutchinson as singling out a place and caused him to blurt forth with a wicked curse. Shut your trap, you. But don't look far already. They had begun to quarrel. These two pals of dozen tight, righteous adventures already, impeccably, gradually, like a shadows of leaf with summer dusk, and which had hated were grown up between them. But they had controlled themselves the diamonds are good. That could be sold at a big at a big figure, and then split in two, for would mean a comfortable stake. Then, quite suddenly, had come the end, the end for one of them. The twisting, gliding skulls, Stuart McGregor's fingers, had made sure that Falcon Huggerson would be that one, years after. But in Africa as a whole, had faded to a memory of, of calling, and clean shadows, Stuart McGregor used to say, with a rather primitive modernist stroll, this was the end of the plasmal African adventures. Had been different from when he expected, had been expected it to be. In a way, he found it disappointing. Not that that had lacked a purely dramatic thrills and blood clothing trimmings. It, that, it wasn't, that wasn't it. On the contrary, it had a plethora of feels. But rather, he must have been keyed up to the too high a pitch, must have expected too much, feared too much, during the journey from the Balkoto village back through the hinterland. Thus then, one night, the broken warriors had come from nowhere, out of the jungle, hundreds of them silent as this wilderness. This brood them forth, it had seen Queen Posey. Posey, too, had been the expectation of death, had been seen... Uh, even seemed a welcome relief from the strange fatigues of the jungle pool, the recurrent fits of fever, the flying and calling it pests and gnawing rinsels, which is so typical African. An explosion of life and hatred, Stuart McGregor used to say, that's what I had expected. But don't you see, quick and merciless, and well, it wasn't for the, for the income, slow and inevitable, slurred. Greek, in a way, and so quickly to plight. That was the worst of it, for the leader of the buckles, a tall, bald, fizzy, anonymous warrior, with a face like a black Nero with a dash of Manku Emperor, had bowed before them with a great clanking of barbarous ornaments. There had been no marring taint of hatred in his voice. He told them that they must pay their in- pay for insults to the fetish. He had not been mentioned. He had, he had not even mentioned the theft of the gold dust and the diamonds. My heart is heavy at the vault, white chief. White chief, she said, but you must pay. Stuart McGregor had stammered infinitely foolish apologies. Why well, he was drunk? We didn't know what uh, what we what what you were doing. The Boko had finished the sentence for him with a little metallically sigh, and his forgiveness in your heart. You mean to say, Fergot Harrison had jumped up and extended hand, bludging out frantic thanks. 
Taking up this is in my heart, but not the doodles. Gently, gently continued the Nico. The doodles never forgives. On the other hand, the doodle is fair. He wants, the, he's just a measure of blood, not an ounce more. Therefore, that but Volko had continued on. Her face had been as stony and as passionless as that of the Buddha, who meditates in the shade of the cobra's hallowed The choice will be yours. Choice, said Haggard. Hagen looked up at a gleam of hope in his eyes. Yes, twice. Which, you, which one of you would die? A bogle had smiled, and the same smile of cold lines ahead had somehow increased the utter horror of the scene. Die, huh? A slow death, befitting the insult of Dudu, befitting the Dudu's great hollowness. Suddenly, Stuart McGregor had understood what that there would be no arguing, no bargaining whatsoever, and quickly had come had come his hysterical question, Who, I? Or? He had stirred and stopped, somehow ashamed, and the Boko had finished. He answered the question with gentle, guiding and human laughter. You, friend, white chief. That is, you, for you to decide. I only know that Juju has spoken to the priest, and he is satisfied with life of one of your two, and the death, a slow death. He had, he had paused and then continued gently, so very gently. Yes, so death, depending exactly entirely upon the validity of one of you two who have sacrificed the juju. It would be only that there would be little knives. It would be flying insects which follow the smell of blood and fresh flesh too. There will be many crimson-headed ants, many ants, a thin river of honey to show from the tail. He then he had yawned, and then he had then he had to go on. They said that the Jew is just. He only wants the sacrifice of one of you. You yourselves must decide which one will go, which one must shall stay. And remember the little white little knives. Be pleased to remember that many ants which follow the honey trail. I shall return shortly and hear your choice. He had bowed in and his silence and with his silence royals. He had bowed and his son's warriors had stepped back into the jungle and closed behind him like a curtain. Even in the moment of stark and enormous horror, horror, too great to be grasped, horror that slept over the beyond the barriers of fear. Even in the moment Stuart McGregor had realised by leaving the choice to them that Boko had committed a refined cruelty worthy of a more civilised race and added a cycle, psychic torture fine fully as dreadful as the physical torture of the little knives. Too, in that moment of ghastly lecherous expectation, had he, no, had he known that it was Fergot Hudson who would be sacrificed to do Fergot Hudson who sat there staring in the campfire, making queer little funny noises. His throat, Sonny Stuart McGregor, had laughed. He remembered that they laughed. That laughed to his dying day and had thrown a greasy pack of playing cards into the centre of meagre, indifferent light. Let's play cards, the society, old boy, he had shouted. One hand of poker. No drawing of your hand. Showdown. Let's square it. 
That's square, isn't it? Sure, the other replied, still standing, staring straight ahead of him. Go ahead and deal. His voice had drifted into mumble while Stuart McGregor had picked up the deck, had shuffled slowly mechanically. As he shuffled, it seemed to him as his brain was phlegmatically grabbed at the coffee to his fingers, it, it, if all those delicate little nerves had run from the back of his skull down to his fingertips, were throbbing a little, a clicking like chorus. Do it, Matt, do it, Matt, do it, Matt, do it, Matt. With a man in suffocated rhythm, he had kept on shuffling and then, and had kept on watching the motion of his fingers, as seen that his thumb and second finger had shuffled the ace of hearts to the bottom of the deck. Had he done it on purpose? He did not know then. He never found out. Though his memory he lived through the scene a thousand times. But there was there were little knives. There were there were ants. There were the, there was the honey trail. There was his own hard decision to live. And years earlier he'd have been a professional fire dealer at Silver City. Another ace had joined the first at the bottom of the deck, the second and fourth. And then forgot Hatchin Violet. Violet, deal, deal. Deal, man, deal. You're driving me crazy. Get over it. The sweat had been pouring from Stuart McGregor's face. His blood had throbbed into his veins. Something like a scourge hammer had drummed at the base of his skull. Cut, won't you? He said, his voice coming as if he was very far away. The other had waved a trembling hand. No, no deal. It was a lie. You won't cheat me. But Stuart McGregor cleared a little space of the ground with the point of his shoe. He remembered his motion. He remembered how the dead leaves had stirred with a dry, rasping, tragic sound. And how... How something slimy and perilous... Slimy and purpose. Green has squirmed through the tufted jungle grass. Now a little furry scorpion has scurried away with a clickly click clack. He had dealt mechanically, even as he's watching them, his fingers have been giving him five fingers from the bottom of the card deck. Five aces, the queen of diamonds, and next second in answer to. Trekkinson chokes showdown. I have two kings, jacks. His own will simulate his shriek of joy and triumph. I win. I have four aces. Every ace in the pack. And then Fogroke Houston's weak, ridiculous explanation. Ridiculous is considering the dreadful fate that waits him. Can win it. You some lucky guy, aren't you, Mac? At that moment, the Berto chief has stepped out of the jungle, followed by half a dozen warriors. Then the final scene, that ghastly, ironic moon. Squinting down, just as Fergot Huggerson walked away between the giant plumbed oko-smeared bogonicos and bringing into stark relief the tattooed mark on his back where the shirt had torn to tatters and leered the leering evil wink of the evil eye as Fergot Huggerson twitched his shoulder blades with absurd, nervous fascination. Stuart McGregor remembered it every day of his life. He spoke of it to many, 
but only to Father Oculus O'Dell, a priest who officiated in a little Gothic church around the corner on 9th Avenue. Had he, did he tell the whole truth? Did he, did he confess what he, that he had cheated? Of course I had cheated, he said. Of course. And with a sort of mocking bravado, what would you have done, Padre? The priest, who was old and wise and gentle, that's that, that not all sure of himself, shook his head. I don't know, he replied. I don't know. Well, I know. You would have done what I did. You wouldn't have been able to help yourself. Then in a low voice, and you would, would pay as I pay. Every day, every minute, every second of the day of my life. With great repentance. Repentance. Murmured the priest, but the other cut him short. Repentance? Nothing. I regret nothing. I spent nothing. I do the same tomorrow. It isn't that. Oh, that isn't what they call it. String of coincidence that's driving me crazy. It's fear. Fear of what? Asked Father Odell. Fear of Fergus Hankerson, who who's dead ten years ago. He knew that Fergus Hankerson had died for not long after the British trader had come upon certain gruesome but unmistakable names that brought the tale to the post. Yet there was fear in Stuart McGregor's soul, fear worse than the fear of little knives, fear of Fergot Hackerson, who was dead. No, he did not believe the man was dead. He did not believe it. Could he believe it? Even suppose he's dead, he used to say to the priest, He'll get me. He'll get me as sure as you're born. I saw it in the eye of that eagle, the squinting eye of the infernal tattooed eagle. Then he would turn a greyish yellow. His whole body would tremble with terrible palsy, the sort of whine which both ridiculous and pathetic, given the signs and bulk. Even the crimson twisted adventures through that he had passed, he would exclaim, Help, get me. He'll get me, he'll get me, he'll get me even from beyond the grave. And then Father Ogro would cross himself rapidly, just a little guiltily. It is said that with morbid curiosity which forces the murderer to view the place of his crime, some psychic reason of the same kind may have caused Stuart McGregor to decorate the walls and corners he's sitting with remembrance of Africa which he hated and feared and hated, and which they, they, he was going to forget with a shimmering cool mass of jungle curious, shambles, abscesses, signal drums and daggers, curries and vernal seals, and um, what not. Steadily he added to his collection, buying in auction rooms and little rooms, in the waterfront that comes sailors and ship purchases and collections of duplicates of sale. He, again, he became a well-known figure in a row of antique stores in the back of Madison Square Garden and was so liberal when it came to payment that Morris Newman, who specialised in African heroes, would pick all the new stuff he brought to his house. It was on that day, one day in August, one of those typical New York days, when the very birds grasp for air with orange flaming sun, where you drop in the brazen sky like a crackling spears and melting salt in pinks, then around again and tosses them back. That Stuart McGregor, returning from his short walk, found a large rounded package in his sitting room. 
Millpot Centre. His fan said from the plane. He said it's a real curious. I'm sure we like it. All right. The servant bowed. Yeah, left him. Closed the door while Tim McGregor cut the twine and wrapped the white paper. Looked and suddenly a scream of fear. Just as his son, and suddenly the scream of fear turned to a scream of manical joy. The thing which Norman sent him was an African skin jump covered with tightly skin, stretched skin, human skin, white skin. The square center was a tattoo mark, an eagle in blue, a red and blue, surmounted by a lopsided crown and surrounded by a wavy design. There was, here was the final proof that Herbert Hudson was dead, that for her brother, he was rid of his fear, approximately a joy. He picked up the, the lid and drum and clutched it to his heart. Suddenly, suddenly, and then he gave a pain of God, a cry of pain. His lips quiver foamed. His hands dropped the drum and the fanned the air. He looked at the thing and then fastened himself to his weight. As the thing fastened itself to his right wrist, it seemed like a short length of rope, gayish in colour, spotted with dull grey. Even as Stuart McGregor dropped to the floor, dying, he knew what had happened. A little venomous snake of African fully dense that had curled up from the inside of the drum, been numbed by the cold and been revived by the sweltering heat of New York. Yes, even as he died, he knew what had happened. Even as he died, he saw that malign, malign obscene squint in the eagle's eye. Even as he died, he knew that Fergot Hackerson had killed him from beyond the grave.